Verse 59, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto your testimonies. I love this, uh, this verse. It's, I thought, I contemplated, I uh, recalled, I remembered my ways and turned my feet unto your testimonies. I have considered. Considered? Okay. I have considered my ways. That's good, you know. But recalled, considered, think about. How often do we think about our ways and do they match up what God wants us to do? And if they don't, we do just what David said here. We turn our feet back to his testimonies. That's repentance. God, I'm, I'm going this way. I'm considering what I'm doing. It's not right. I'm turning my feet and coming back to your law. Sometimes it's just turning your feet, because when you turn your feet, your body will follow your feet. It doesn't have much choice in the matter. If your feet are going one way, your body's not going another. And if it does keep going another way, you're going to fall flat on your face. Because <laughs> uh, you do that in sports sometimes, where your body keeps going one way when your feet start going another, and you end up on the ground wondering how you got there. Sometimes, if you're playing the wrong sport, you'll have people on top of you. Or if, if nothing else, you have an entire audience watching you like, what is that guy doing laying on the ground? <laughs> you know, um, or like one time when I intercepted the football and tripped over, tripped over my own feet, and one of the guys ran over and said, here's a piece of grass he tripped over. <laughs> it was in a practice uh, session, so it was, uh, you know, aha, here we go. You know, but, but it is true. If, we, if our feet are going one way and our body's trying to go another, we're going to fall flat. Our body will also follow where our feet go, as long as we're not too much momentum going the other direction. But if our feet are turned to go back to God, we're either going to turn back to God or we're going to fall flat on our face, spiritually. So here David says, I've turned my feet, and I'm coming back. I'm going back to where I'm supposed to be. Have you ever gone into the wrong direction and kept going in the wrong direction with God for a while? We call it backsliding, making bad decisions, you know, living the, living the wrong way for a while. It's pretty easy to do if we're not focusing in on his testimony. God, what is it you want me to do? This is the power of the word of God. That if we focus on his word, we will be drawn into his way of doing things. I'm going to, God, I want to just do things your way. And, you know, I... I talk about this. It is a really sad thing that most Christians do not read their Bible every day. Most Christians do not read their Bible every day. That is sad. Okay. You know, very sad to me that, that they don't read their Bible every day. The majority of Christians have never read the Bible from cover to cover. They may have read Genesis and Exodus, and they might have read a bunch of the New Testament books, Maybe read bits and pieces of Proverbs and Psalms. Maybe the book of Jonah, because Jonah's that exciting story. Maybe read the first half of Daniel, which is all the stories of Daniel. But they get into the heavy future stuff of Daniel. They turn it aside. But you know, and many of them haven't even read the whole New Testament. The power. This is our life. This is our food. If we're not reading the scriptures... And understand and beginning to understand them, we've got a problem in our life. Because David says, I've turned my feet to your testimonies. We won't even know his testimonies. You know, I read the, the quote unquote minor prophets, and I, I, I understand why they gave them the title minor prophets, but I think it's a, a very un, unfortunate description. They gave them because they're short books. None of them are over 16 ver chapters long, and they're, they're given the title minor prophets. And it's very sad because the power in those minor prophets is extremely powerful. Some of my favorite illustrations and pictures come out of the minor prophets. And, I, and they're called minor just because of the length of the book. It's not the message that's minor. And people hardly ever read or, or study or teach out of those. You know, for many Christians, and many even pastors have never even taught from the minor prophets. One of the pastors that I really loved, he goes, I'm going to do a series on the minor prophets, and I've never done this before. And he'd been preaching for quite a while. And it's something that's very important to be able to understand. The whole counsel of God through the entirety of Scripture is important. 
And this is one of the things I've loved about Calvary Chapel's pastors is that they go expository, book by book, verse by verse, <laughs> uh, chapter by chapter, you know, and, then, and that's why, you know, even before I got in contact with them, I loved the idea of just going through the book, going step by step through the book and helping people see everything that the Bible talks about, not just, here's my favorite, here's my favorite verses, here's my favorite theme, you know, and it's pretty interesting if you listen to pastors who aren't teaching expository preaching, you'll very quickly learn what they think is important because it's all they ever talk about. It's not expository teaching, they teach topics. What usually happens in that situation, you end up preaching one of two ways. You end up preaching only what you think is important and what you like, or you preach against things that are going on in your church. And people feel very beat up by that standard. Well, let's see. Uh, most people are, you know, we've got a lot of people committing adultery. We're going to do a series on marriage and adultery for a little while. Uh, oh, we got people that are, you know, having trouble with their mouths. We're going to talk about <laughs> the power of the tongue and, and lying and cheating or whatever. Uh, and it's not really the best way. I don't think it is which why I go expository. It, it, to me, is I want to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word, and if we hit something that's a sore topic in the church, nobody feels picked on, or they shouldn't feel picked on, because it was the next verses to, you know, you know what I'm going to preach on in whatever, whatever I'm on, you just look in there and say, well, I'm, I'm having that sin, you can, avoid the, you can avoid the message pretty easy. I think the onus is on the word of God, to, because I'm going to go through his word, of, word, you know, step by step. It does mean that you have to struggle and deal with some very tough issues sometimes when you're going through the verse-by-verse verse, uh, procedure, and you also stay in context. The worst thing in the world is to lift a verse out of context. Something like 1 Corinthians 13. Does anybody know what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? It's the love chapter. Okay? It, and everybody uses it all the time to talk about love. Well, you know the context of that chapter? The two chapters before it is spiritual gifts. The chapter after it is spiritual gifts. He's talking about a spiritual gift of love and describing what that love in a spiritual gift appears as. So you've got to take things in context. And people will lift that all the time out to talk about love. But they're taking it out of context. It's a spiritual gift to apply to everybody else, and it's not generated by yourself. It's generated by the Holy Spirit, especially the love being talked about in that chapter. So this is why going verse by verse is so important. Uh, heard people t talk about it. If you really want to understand, if you're going to pull a verse out, you need to read about 20 verses, at least 20 verses uh, in front of it and 20 verses after it so that you can get some idea of what it's talking about. If you did that with 1 Corinthians 13, you might understand that it's sitting in the middle of spiritual gifts. You really have to go the whole, the whole thing. But you know, the Bible as a whole has a context. The whole context of the Bible is Jesus Christ. All of it. And we've been showing that in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that we've been doing on Wednesday nights. We're showing that in, in, ex, uh, in uh, Ezekiel, we see it in the New Testament, and everybody knows, expects to find Jesus in the New Testament. But the power of how Jesus is everywhere in the Bible is so important because he is the main subject of every verse of the Bible. We talk about the tabernacle, and it's a picture of Jesus. We talk about the sacrifice of Cain and and Abel, where did they learn to sacrifice? Well, Jesus was, you know, when the, in the Garden of Eden, when Abraham and, or Abraham, Adam and Eve sinned, God slew an animal to shed blood so that he could create at least one, if not two, to create coats for them to wear by shedding of the blood, a picture of Jesus. You know, over and over we see the pictures of Jesus, Abraham going up to the mountain to offer Isaac, a picture of the father getting when he offers Jesus. And in the father's case, he didn't get a substitution like Isaac, uh, like uh, Abraham did for Isaac. You know, but we see the picture. Moses not going in the promised land because he was supposed to speak to the rock who represented Jesus and providing living water for the people. And he struck the rock. 
as it, you know, which messed up the picture of Jesus. Uh, manna, the picture of Jesus, the daily bread being for, provided for the, the daily word and bread being provided for the people. All the things over and over and over again, the picture of Jesus. And when we keep the fact that this is a unified book that has context, it helps us to understand and see what we're seeing. It's when we forget it that we have problems. I said this myself. When somebody first gets saved, I will tell them to spend their time in the New Testament. They need to know the very clear pictures of Jesus. But to truly, completely understand those pictures of Jesus in the New Testament, you must go into the Old Testament to see the whole picture as it's being presented. Because you get a very partial and dim view of Jesus through just the New Testament. When you start seeing him in the Old Testament, and you start seeing the way he's presented in the Old Testament, the fourth man in the fire with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the angel of the Lord that holds closed the, the mouths of the lion when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, wood that was thrown into the bitter waters of Marah to make them sweet, the cross being represented coming into our life to make the bitterness in our life sweet, uh, the cross, the wood being cast into the, the poisoned stew by Elijah, Again, God's word, his cross coming into the poison and, fr and cleaning it and freshening it and making it brand new. We see the cross all through the Old Testament. All the places where wood is thrown into something to be a picture of the cross that's coming. The very putting of the blood on the doorpost, the lintel and the, and the floor of the Passover lamb, the cross, literally the cross being put on the doors of the of the people. In the book of Numbers, we read the numbers of the people and the way they're ordered, and it's designed as a cross in the, in the very foundation of their camp. But if it looked down from the top, you'd see a cross. Okay? God has put the cross everywhere in the Old Testament. He's even put the cross in the sky. If you go far enough south to see the Southern Cross, it is a cross in the sky in the middle of nothing. Empty space, any empty space of, of stars, and a cross stands out in the sky. God has put his cross everywhere for people to see. He's put his, the Jesus in everything in the Old Testament. And when you start seeing it, you start really seeing it, you go, wow, how powerful is this story? How powerful are these lessons that say God has been lifted up in a great way? Joshua getting, getting ready to lead the people and he's so fearful and the angel of the Lord comes to him which is Jesus and meets with him and talks to him and encourages him. We have God coming face to face with Adam and Eve in the cool of the night before they fell. Jesus coming to meet and talk with them. Jesus is God. He pre predated and that's why when he told the scribes and Pharisees they go well we know who our father is and he goes before Abraham was, I am. He was telling them very clearly, I am God. I existed before Abraham. I was with Adam and Eve. And even before them, I existed. He goes, I am. This is the power of getting into the scriptures and seeing Jesus everywhere in it. Seeing the power of the blood. The blood shows that blood has to be shed to cause for forgiveness to happen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God killed the lamb or whatever it was that he clothed Adam and Eve with. And I love the, the pictures from the Answers in Genesis Sunday School when Adam and Eve are being led out with their skins of clothing. There's a, there's a bush and then there's a stream of blood coming out from behind the bush that shows that God killed an animal to provide them their protect their their clothing and, and covering. Huh? Most likely. I expect that it was a lamb. No, but I mean you don't really think about that in that picture. Yeah. I would expect that it was a lamb. I mean it could have been anything that God killed, but it would it was an animal. Well that's why lambs are the, the main main sacrifice. But you gotta think about this also. The lamb that was killed for their, or the animal that was killed for their, for their covering. 
Number one, we know that that means there was time, a little bit of time in the garden because some of these animals had had children, had young children, young, young, young uh, kids or goats. Otherwise, he would have killed out, wiped out an entire species, and it's possible that he wiped out a species of animals to provide coats for Adam and Eve. But you think about this. They were the rulers of the animals. These animals probably were friends of theirs. They'd gotten to know these animals. And for those of us and, the, and those of you who love animals, you know how powerful this, this thing I'm getting ready to say. This was something that they had spent time with that died because of their sin to cover them with, and have the blood. This was a pet. Same thing happens in the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was chosen from the flock, the best sheep in the flock, perfect sheep in the flock. It was put in the house for four days to be examined by the family. And I can guarantee you, you put a little lamb in the, in the house and all the kids are going to go, oh, look at this lovely little lamb and get attached to it. And four days later, that lamb is being killed to cover their sins, to be the protection of death over death. You know, we never think about the power of this, these, these things. Why, why did he want them to get attached to it? Because there's a scripture that says that the darling of heaven was killed for our sins. God sent his son, the darling of heaven, his precious one. The most precious thing in heaven was sent to die for us. And the pain that it caused for Jesus to die. Oh, it's, we, we need to understand these scriptures. We need to understand the Old Testament. <laughs> we need to understand these verses. That Jesus died and it cost everything. Verse 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep your commandments. Oh, we would make haste <laughs> to obey God. I wish that everything I did was to obey God in, in haste. So often I will drag my feet. God, I know you're wanting me to change my way, but I'm just not ready. David saying, I made haste. Now we know that this wasn't always David's case. After he murdered Uriah, the baby had already been born. So we're looking at nine months before David confesses his sin and turns back to God. And the baby seems to be couple months old so we're looking at probably a year before David finally confesses and it takes Nathan coming into him and telling him a story that gets him personally attached and angry and he, remember he tells him about this this rich man who takes the only lamb of a poor man and you know, kills it and gives it to his to his guest when he when the rich man had lots of flocks and could have just taken any one of his sheep and you know David's a shepherd he knows what it's like to kind of fall in love with a couple of his lambs and really they're special. You know, this lamb is special. You know, I helped it, it was breached and I helped his, you know, deliver this baby lamb because it was going to, you know, his mother was dying in the, in the delivery and I helped. That lamb was going to be special to him. And he's picturing just that kind of lamb. This is the lamb that I helped. You know, this is the lamb I fell in love with and he did what? <laughs> you know, he did what? And then he, you know, made his decree that that man deserves to die and then Nathan says you are the man but David did not make a lot of haste in following God's command in that particular instance once he was convicted he did After a year, yeah. Yeah. he's probably thinking he got away with it but it was affecting his relationship with God when you sin and even if you think you're getting away with that sin it affects your relationship with God because God knows it's there and you know that it's there, and you know that God knows that it's there. And you know, how many times have you been in a place where you're living in a sin, and the last thing you want to do is open your Bible? The last thing you want to do is pray, because you just feel so hypocritical when you do it. Uh, it's like, well, God, you and I are really not on good terms. I don't know if I want to pray. And we may not actually say it that way, but in our mind, isn't that what we're saying? You know, God... Uh, you know, I'm not on good terms with God. I don't want to. I don't want to go before Him. We well, we beat ourselves up with it. We we don't. We avoid God's word. We oftentimes will avoid church. We'll avoid God's people because some of them might just make us convicted by God telling them what they need to say. 
Because we remember somebody like a Nathan coming into the, into the palace and saying, uh, you're the man, you've got a problem. Uh, and so oftentimes we'll just try to stay away from God and we don't really, even if we don't go into deep sin and everything, we go back and we go, God, I just, I just don't feel comfortable in your presence because I am not pure. People like Nathan still exist. Oh, yeah. They're just not written about there's quite likely that you have been a Nathan in somebody's life just by the way you live. You could be a Nathan in somebody's life. Just by saying you live a godly standard or you just say something, you know, you share something you learned in a message, you know, and, and all of a sudden that's all it takes to convict somebody. We do not understand how powerful things are that are said and done as people watch us. We are impacting more people than we know, both negatively and positively. When we honor God in our life, people see it and are touched. Sometimes we just say just the right words that, that is going to touch somebody's life. When we share, you know what, I, I read this today and, and we get excited about it and somebody goes, wow, that's really, that's really interested. Really interesting. You just expound upon something with somebody for just a moment and they needed to hear it. And you didn't know they needed to hear it. You were just sharing Christ with them. And the next thing you know, they're just like, wow, this just blessed the socks off me. Uh, I don't know if any of you have had that happen to you where somebody will say, you know, that was just what I needed. I needed to hear that. I needed to see that. And if you haven't, when you get to heaven, God will show it to you. I'm a teacher. I get to hear it a lot. But I also hear it every once in a while when people will say something, well, why do you always smile? Well, I'm not aware that I always smile, but it's said so often that I must smile more often than not. And I'm not really aware of it, but, you know, I love that question because it gives me an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Well, if I'm smiling that much, let me tell you why. <laughs> let me tell you why I'm, I'm happy and smiling all the time and I'm joyful. Because I've got a God, I have a peace that passes understanding that is just so special because God lives inside of me and get to tell him all about Jesus and how to get saved. Now, but are we quick to turn to God? Are we quick? I am getting quicker as I get older and more mature with Christ. I'm getting quicker. When I was younger and immature with Christ, I was very slow at times. <laughs> and I've already shared with you, there was a time that I was really slow. <laughs> Six years slow to turn. But you know, God is saying, turn. But you know, from God's perspective, six years is still pretty quick. When, when Abraham left Ur of Chaldees and stopped for 20 years in Haran, that's a long time for a human being. But for God, that's a short time. He's eternal. He was patient. He didn't blot Abraham out of it. Oh, Abraham, you're being so disobedient. I know, you, know you, you, you didn't leave with your, you, know, you took your father, you didn't leave without your family like you were supposed to. You took your father and you took your nephew. Uh, now you're stuck here for 20 years. What's wrong with you? You, know, you haven't been obedient at all, and yet he got blessed. When he finally got up, he still took his nephew with him, <laughs> which caused him lots of problems. <laughs> because he was totally obedient, but God still blessed him. You know, God will still bless us even if we are not completely obedient to him. That's the good news about God. His mercy. David said, your mercies. I'm asking for your mercy. Even when we don't do things the way God tells us, he can still be merciful. We were out yesterday doing the soul winning and talking to people. And the one team said, you know, well, we didn't, get to, we didn't get really to talk to somebody, but we did pass out tracks. The tracks are more than what you would have done if you hadn't gone out soul winning. You know, and I've watched when I've gone before in other places where we've soul winning, usually in people in their first couple times going out soul winning, they're nervous enough just about passing out tracks. But then they decided and they start passing out tracks. They get used to passing out tracks. And the next thing that happens is they actually start speaking <laughs> and trying to, trying to take it to the next level. And then if they keep doing it, eventually they get to be very good at it and they get to be the teachers of other people that are doing it. Or you at least get competent at it. One, or one, one way or the other. You may not get good, very good at it, but at least you get competent. But each step along the way is more than you were doing before. And that's important. 
as we've done the way of the master, I've watched people, we've gone through a lot of tracks. Those tracks are in somebody's hands. Hopefully somebody just didn't take the tracks and throw them in the trash and say, okay, I gave them out. You know, those tracks are in somebody's hands. God can use that. Now, would it have been better to have them in their hands and talk to them? Of course. But God will use that track to, to minister. But most of it is just to take that step, take the step of faith to start. How does somebody learn to teach a class? Well, they study God's word, they get a little bit of confidence in God's word, and then they take a step and say, I think I'm ready to teach somebody, whoever that somebody might be. And I'm ready to maybe take one person on and be their discipler. Most of, most of our Christian work walk is going to be just taking little, little steps. God, I've got something I can tell somebody. And this is what I tell people. If you've been walking with God any length of time and you've been reading his word and studying his word even a little bit, you know more than a lot of new Christians or even some older Christians that haven't been doing that at all. There's somebody out there that you can be discipling that you know more than and disciple them. And find somebody that can help you learn more than what you're learning. Because this is important. We need to teach. Whoever we are, we need to be teaching somebody. Should be our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews primarily, but we need to be teaching somebody. Because if we're in his word, we're learning and we need to give it out to other people. But even more importantly, we need to be taught. And that means very specifically, and a pastor is a good place to start, but you need more somebody that you can work one-on-one -on -one with and go, I just need you to help. Help me learn to pray. Help me learn to evangelize. Help me learn to do whatever it is you want to do and spend time with that person learning it. Ask him to be your mentor for a while and learn because it's important. None of us are so strong that we can stand up by ourselves without having any problems in our life. None of us. We all need somebody to help us. All of us. No matter how long you've been walking with God. The problem with a lot of pastors are they kind of go, well, I'm the pastor. I don't need anybody. Oh, that pastor's in trouble. If he gets to the place where he thinks he doesn't need somebody to help him understand God's word, study his word, even if it's nothing but listening to other pastors teach, it's going to be good. But if he gets separated and says, I don't need anybody, I've gone to seminary, I know how to get everything I need out of the word, that pastor is going to fall at some point because he's not humbled himself enough to realize he needs a teacher. He needs somebody at least that he can talk with when things go hard. And they will go hard because Satan does not like things to go forward. And when you go forward with Christ, he attacks. And his attack can really broadside you sometimes and blindside you and make, knock, you, knock you for a loop. And very important. Verse 61, the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten your law. Oh, it says the bands of the wicked, they surround me, they rob me, they take away, but I will not forget your law. Have you ever felt like you're in the middle of a huge attack? Yeah. We keep our focus on God. It's the only way that we can get by. We keep our focus on God. We let him be our defense. We hide in him. And let, you know, when you're hiding in God, you can, the storm can pound on God all at once and it's not going to affect God at all. You know, if God would just laugh. You know, oh, we, we got these, these waves pounding against me. Uh, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're tickling my toe down there. <laughs> you know, you're, you're tick you know, this 80, 90 foot wave that would blow you over. You know, God's going, oh, you're just, you know, you're just barely touching my toes. You know, it's, uh, you're tickling my toes with, this, with all this trial. I'm being a little facetious on that, but it's really, the point is, nothing that happens is going to bother God. Nothing. I've heard people go, well, I don't want to bother God. This problem is just too small. What problem in this world is too big a problem for God? Now, God looks at the biggest possible problem that this world could present to him and say, and your problem is what? I can't handle this. Why? It's kind of like, you know, when the, when the kid has a really big problem and they come to you as their parent and say, I need help. Okay, let me help you. 
Very few of, especially in the little kids, problems are something an adult can't, can't fix. I've been trying to tie my shoes for three hours. Well, let me just help you fix your problem. Huh? <laughs> but we need to keep this in mind. God is so strong, so powerful that anything, anything that comes our way to him would be a small problem. And yet he wants to help us get it taken care of. He's not going to go, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you deal with this problem on your own? You know, that takes us into what the world says. The world's, one of the world's things that they say is in the Bible, that God helps those who help themselves. You know, God helps those who can't help themselves. If you think you can help yourself, God ignores you until you humble yourself to be able to be helped by him. He doesn't help you when you think you can help yourself because he wants you to fall flat on your face so that you need him. Because he wants you to come to him. He wants you to do this because he will say, I'm not going to let any fleshly righteousness stand before me. He doesn't let any of our goodness stand before him. He says it's worthless. It's not worth anything. So if we think we can do it on our own, he says, okay, you can do it on your own. You can wear her filthy rags in front of me all you want. And when you're ready to finally realize that all your, all your clothing is filthy rags, you can come to me and we'll put good garments on you. We'll put the righteousness of Christ on you when you finally humble yourself and decide that your filthy garments are not what you want to wear. We'll let you fall. And God's quite a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you. He won't make you obey him. He won't make you do what he wants. He'll just let you flounder around for a while. Let's, let's put you in the miry pit of despair and see how long you can flounder around until you ask for help. Let's put you in the quicksand of the, of the ways of the world and see how long you, it'll be until you finally ask for help. And eventually, if we're one of his children, we'll ask for help. God will clean us up, put us right back on the path, and say, okay, now let's go, let's go do it my way. You wanted to do it your way, now we'll do it, we'll do it the way I wanted it done in the first place. And oh, the graciousness of God. Do you realize that when you fall, God's hands are right underneath you to catch you? You may have to fall a long ways. It may seem like you're going to fall a longer ways than you fall, but he catches you and says, here. Now, are you ready to repent? You're ready to repent. I'm ready to put you back. And he puts us back. Oh, the power of God on it. And verse 62, at midnight, I will rise up to give thanks unto you because of your righteous judgments. Oh, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and prayed or just thought about God? Oh, God, thank you that you love me so much. Thank you that you've done this for somebody or just put, you put somebody's heart on your heart and you pray for them. One thing I'm learning to do is when somebody's name comes to my mind, I'll pray for them. God, I don't know what it is about this person, but I need to pray. I need to be praying for them, and, I, and I'll say just a prayer for them. Just a quick prayer because God's got a reason. Wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh, God, you're so wonderful. You're so good. You know, the whole statement, God is always good. We really got to understand that God is always good. Always. When we think that something's so bad and that God's out lost control, he is always good and he has a plan. Nothing that happens to us. When he says no to something we think we needed, it's for our good and, he's, and it's because he's good that he doesn't give it to us. Was there ever a time when your kids asked for something and you knew it wasn't a good thing for that particular child and you said, no, no way can you have that? Probably. Hopefully. Why? Because you're understanding more that what they were asking for was not good. Dad, I've got my learner's permit. Can I have a Ferrari? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Number one, I can't have one, but, you, but, but a Ferrari, even if I could afford one for you, a Ferrari is not what you need at 15 and a half to be driving. You, you'd get yourself in lots of trouble driving a car like that. So no, you can't have one like that. But God does the same thing to us often. God, I really need, uh, no, I don't think you need that. It won't be for your good. It'll lead you away from me. It'll lead you into the wrong path. So I don't think it's really good for you. Verse 63, I am a companion to them that fear you and that keep your precepts. 
This verse is important for being able to walk uprightly over the long term. Who are your companions that you spend your time with? And you all have been there. If you end up spending time with people that are ungodly, especially as a Christian, you will watch your life change to be like them. You will become like the people you spend your time with. That does not mean we don't spend any time with the lost world because if you didn't, you wouldn't have anybody to evangelize. You need to make friends with the world to a degree. But they should never be your best friend. They should never be the one that you, something goes bad and the first person you think of calling is the lost world. Uh, I, when I think about this, I think about the, the movie Fireproof where, where the wife is getting all this ungodly counsel from all of her ungodly friends, you know, and Kirk Cameron playing the lieutenant is getting good godly counsel. And you, and you see it and you're going, wow, you know, He's falling in love with his wife even as she's pulling further and further away from him. And she's ready to end the whole thing because her friends tell her that's what you should do. Because ungodly counsel. And you realize you can get ungodly counsel even from Christians. We need to be so careful. I have heard it so many times. Somebody saying, well, I'm having a lot of problems in my marriage. Well, dump the man and get, you know, get divorced and start all over again. That's ungodly, <laughs> that's ungodly advice. That is not scriptural advice. It is not the way to go. But, you know, how many times maybe we've done it ourselves where we think about that. This Christian has really offended me and I've got a lawsuit against him. Well, go take it to court. You, you should go ahead and sue him. The Bible tells us don't take one another to court as, as brothers and sisters. Ungodly counsel. But how easy is it for those words to fly out of our mouth because it it's what we think is right. We need to be careful. We need to always keep in mind, God, what should I be answering this question with? And it may mean a quick prayer. God, I, help me answer this question godly. Help me give biblical sound reasons for what is going on. And it's so important for us because it is so easy for us to slip into the way the world does things and speak the world's way of answering. Well, that person's awful. You've got you to dump them. Well, you know, you really, you know, that person really did wrong. I mean, they violated the law. You, you've got lawsuit against them. Now, the fact that they're a brother or sister doesn't matter. You go sue them. Take them for all they've got. <laughs> you know, no, don't do this. Coming, coming to talk, you know, I really want to get married to this person. I know they're not a Christian, but I think I can get them converted because, you know, I love them so much and they're really kind and they want to go to church with me and all these other things and do not be unequally yoked. God, I really want to have a business and to make it in this business, you know, they, you, know you have to stretch the truth so I, I can't be godly and honest in, the, in this business. God says, don't lie. How easy is it for us to justify what we think we're going to do by looking at the world? And we need to stay focused on God. God, I want to give you thanks because of your righteous judgments. And I want to just point this out, and I know this group knows it, but God's word is always correct. If you do not think God's word is absolutely correct, go back to the very first statement and know that God's word is absolutely correct. Okay? Anytime you don't think it's correct, go back to the very first statement, God's word is always correct. If it doesn't make any sense to do it his way, do it his way anyway. Because if you don't, you're going to regret it. Because there's consequence for being disobedient. And it's so important. Don't disobey God's word. Every single person I have ever seen that has gotten unequally yoked, who's been counseled not to, regrets it. They either end up in divorce or they end up in a very unhappy marriage because they're not equally yoked. And usually it will destroy their walk with God because the, un, the person who is not godly will stop going to church once they've, once they've gotten married and say, I don't have time for this God thing. You can go to church if you want, but I'm not going. And eventually it is, you know, well, I'm really tired of you going to church all the time. I really want you to stay with me. We can go to the beach. We can go camping. We can, 
we can do all these things to keep you away from, you know, because you really need to spend time with me, and Sunday is really the only day that I have to be able to do this stuff. And the next thing you know, the, the Christian has not been in church, has walked away from God and his, and his reading. They're not even reading their Bible anymore because the other one wants that time and effort d devoted to them. Always keep God's word and always remember it is correct. Even if you don't think it's correct and you think you're the exception to the rule, God's word is correct. You are not the exception to the rule. And every one of us can think that way. God, you know, I really don't need to tell the truth in this way because if I tell the truth, somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to go to jail or somebody's going to be punished. Well, that might be just what they need. And God says, tell the truth. And we need to be careful. Verse 46, the earth, O Lord, is full of your mercies. T 64, what did I say? 46. Oh, well, all right. Well, we'll stay in 64 then. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. I love walking with God and seeing him at work. Do you realize that God is work, at work around you all the time? When we were out yesterday and there wasn't a whole lot of people to, to witness to, I'm going, God, who do you want me to witness to? There's only about four or five people here. Which of the four or five do you want me to talk to? Ended up talking to the first guy for about 15 minutes. Ended up talking to the second guy for about 15 minutes. And then didn't ask on the third one. I ended up talking to a whole bunch, a whole bunch of people that didn't want to talk. Kind of an interesting thing. And when I prayed about who to talk to, I ended up with some good conversations. When I didn't pray about who to talk to, I didn't have very good conversations with people. I want to follow God. I want to look around. And I quote this all the time, but it really made an impression on me years ago, decades ago, when I first heard it. Blackaby says that if you want to find out what God's doing, look around, find out what he's doing, and join him. You know, too many of us as Christians go out and go, God, I'm doing this. How about getting over here and helping me? And God's going, well, I'm over here taking, doing this with this person already. You know, why don't you get over here <laughs> and help? I'm not, coming, I'm not stopping this to go over there. But yet so often we're going, God, I'm doing this. Do, you know, here I am, God. <laughs> you know, God, look at me. Uh, I'm over here. And we want to be, oh, God, you're over there. Let me come over and join you. Let me go over and join you, God, and, and see what you are doing. How can I help God? And this happens in churches so often, and this is a sad thing, that so often churches start out godly. They're doing things God's way. They're trying to follow God, and then they start making a program out of it. Well, God, this is how you've always blessed us in the past, so this is what we're going to keep doing. And you keep doing the same thing for 20 years. You, and God's saying, well, I kind of left that, I left that a long time ago. Let's go do something else. And we got to be careful. It has been said that if God was, if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the first century church, only about 10% of what was going on would continue. The sad thing is in the average church today, if the Holy Spirit was taken out, they would just keep going. We have our Sunday school materials. We have our lessons. Or we have our, our, mess, our sermons planned for the next 10 years. Uh, we have our programs, you know, and we'll just keep running the program. We don't seem to have any power going on. That God's not seeming to move in this, but we're going to keep doing our programs. There is a time when you look at a program and say, yes, it was very vital two years ago. Is it still vital? We did this at the last business meeting. We've been doing the parade for five years. Did we want to still do the parade? Is it a valuable thing? Or is it doing any good? Or do we do something different? There may come a time when we go, we're not going to be part of the parade, but we're going to do street evangelism or something instead. Who knows what we're going to do and how long that was. But we need to be able to look at something and say, this is what we've been doing. Do we keep doing it? Do we keep doing it the way we're doing it? The surefire way to get stagnant and not grow spiritually is to keep doing what you've always done when God has moved on. Sunday schools have moved on to new ways of presenting things and some people get stuck. Well, God, I've been doing this for 30 years. What do you mean you want me to do it differently? And we need to be able to say, okay, we change. God, we've had the same kind of Gregorian chants for, for 100 years. What do you mean we should be singing songs that the, that the congregation can sing? This was Luther's problem. When he introduced songs that people could actually know the words for and sing with. 
And people will go, oh, you can't do that. This is the problem that we're having nowadays when people are saying, well, you want to sing the hymns, we want to sing the modern music with the, with the bands and everything. Where do we draw the lines? We listen to God and say, God, what is right? What do you want us to do? And that's where we have to stand, is what, what do you want us to do? Because there are solid reasons to do and not do anything. It's listening to the Holy Spirit and going forward in the way that he wants you to do it. Even with us doing the way of the master for evangelism, and I've shared everybody, I've done so many different evangelism classes that I don't follow any one completely. There's things about the way of the master I really like. It gives you a script to follow, a real easy script to follow. And when you actually talk to people and follow the way of the master, the people cooperate with the script usually. They don't even know the script. <laughs> you know, they don't even know the script and they follow it right down the, right down the script. It's, it's an amazing thing to go down it and they, they answer just the way the script says they're going to answer. It's an easy script to follow. If they divert from the script, then you have to look to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, God, what do I say now? But it really makes it easy to start. Yeah. It's the first evangelism class that I've ever been where people actually follow the script that you're trying to follow without having to be kind of pushed into the script. These guys automatically follow the script. Yeah. And it's, really, it's, a, it's a fun way to evangelize. And we look at this, but you know, if they violate, di uh, deviate from the script, then you just go with it and you find, out, you find out how to get it and maybe bring them back some other point in the script. But learning to speak with people, listening to the Holy Spirit. Oh, so many times you just you know, listen to the Holy Spirit and he changes everything you wanted to say and you just ch say something totally different than what you'd planned on saying. Happens to teachers all the time. They study all week long, real hard to study for a lesson. And then God says, oh, by the way, this is your new lesson for today. And I go, God, you, I wasn't listening to you very well. I wish you'd have told me this at the beginning of the week uh, so I could have studied this instead of changing at the very last moment because God knew what you were going to do. So it means that we weren't listening in the first place, probably. But, you know, we listen to God and we hang out with people that think like we do. You know, that, we, that we hang out because it's full of mercy and he wants to teach us. God wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. He wants to see us grow. He does not want stillborn Christians. He doesn't want 20-year-old Christians still sitting around sucking on a bottle of formula that's been watered down because that's the only thing they can handle. He wants to see people that are getting up and running and eating meat, eating the hard things in the scripture, interpreting hard things, teaching others. And, you know, this is a good thing to do. If you have a baby and it doesn't grow, it's failure to thrive, and they're going to help you try to feed that baby. If your baby is, is not eating, they teach you to get, it, get the baby to eat. If your baby doesn't start walking at the right times, they're trying to teach you how to get that baby to walk, or they're looking for, why won't this child walk? If they're not talking at a certain age, you're going, why won't this child talk? And yet, in the church and around us as Christians, we let people stay immature babies for 30, 40, 50 years. What do you mean you've never memorized a scripture? What do you mean you've never talked to anybody about Jesus? What do you mean you've never read the Bible? We need to challenge one another to grow in Christ. Share the gospel with people. It's been said, and Bill Bright said this, if every single person who claims to be a Christian led one person to the Lord, and that person led one person to the Lord, by two generations or three generations, we'd have the entire world evangelized. The sad thing is there are many Christians who have never even shared their gospel, much less led somebody to Christ. And then there's a handful of people that have led lots of people to Christ. I loved it in Sunday school, seeing these kids come to Christ, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, talking with their parents and saying, you tell your parents what you did and then encouraging their parents to disciple them. Okay, got mom and dad, it's your turn. It's your turn to be discipling. We'll do our job in Sunday school, but you have them 24-7. You teach them. We'll, we'll support you. We will teach them deep things as well, but your job is to get them taught. It is so much fun to be able to lead somebody to the Lord and then disciple them and see them grow and watch people grow in Christ and see spiritual life being developed. 
oh, it's so wonderful. I love seeing it in myself. I love seeing it in the people in this church. I love seeing it in my kids. You know, I love seeing it with my kids because I've discipled my kids for a long time and I love seeing them. I love it when they come. You know, we, I was sitting in a Bible study and I never thought I knew all this stuff, but yet I'm the one that has the answers when, they, when they're talking about things. The lights are coming on in their heads. Everything they've been taught over decades is now coming to fruition and they're starting to realize, I know more than I thought I did. You never will know how much you know until you put yourself in a position to actually do it. This is what we're doing by taking and going out and doing soul winning. You don't know what you know until you get put out there and actually do it. You don't know what you know until you're put in a position where you have to teach somebody how to walk in what God has been teaching you to do, even if it's one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, yeah, let me, let's get together. Let's pray. Let's get together and pray. Let's get together and, and study God's word a little bit. Just you and me. Let's talk about what God says. You know, let's go out and witness to people. Let's go out and do whatever it might be that God's calling you to do. But take somebody with you. you know, we were talking about it on the car. How did I learn to do what I did? Well, when my dad got saved when I was 12 years old, and he went out door knocking, he took three kids with him. Now, we didn't all go with my dad necessarily. We went with other people. But when he went out to do something, we went out. It didn't mean that we were knocking on the doors. We, we were listening. We were praying. We were learning how somebody else did it. And eventually, it's like, I think I can do this. Let me knock on the next door. I'll talk to the guy. Let me, let me do the street evangelism. And, and I've seen this also in street evangelism in the church that did a lot of street evangelism. You go out and you hopefully got partnered with somebody who knew what they were doing. And you just watched them. And then eventually you go, well, I think I can do this. And eventually you start doing it. And how do we learn to do anything with God? We just eventually say, God, I just want to give it a shot. And God just, I'm going to step out by faith. If I, if I mess it up, God, it's yours. It's yours. But it is a little something that we do. We step out in faith and just do it. And we'll look to go, go forward in that. Now we're going to close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you show us how we are to serve you and that you will teach and give us boldness to do whatever it is you would have us to do and share you with others. And Lord, that we will see many come to Christ. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.